Hello, and welcome to This Week in Los Angeles. My name is Akeem Bass, broker associate with Exclusive Realty. I am sitting here today with a very close friend of mine, Christopher Joseph, who works with Closing Mark. We are going to discuss a few topics today about the current real estate market, the 2008 market versus 2020, home ownership, the right time to buy, what buyers need to know about buying a condo, everything that comes with the HOA, and also how FICO scores can affect your purchasing power. And we are live with Chris. Thank you, Akeem. Um, um, today is, is um, I'm really excited about being here and having this conversation because um, being out in the field talking with clients, potential clients, uh, you get a lot of questions and a lot of feedback and a lot of concerns and uh, there's a lot of misinformation and even some trepidation out here in our market uh, which may prevent some uh, really potential qualified buyers from purchasing um, or even sellers that are interested in selling their home so I'm glad to be here to uh, discuss this information thank you thank you sir Okay, so for my first question for you, Chris, I wanted to know what are your thoughts on the current state of real estate? Uh, the current state of real estate uh, in the market overall, I think is a good market, and it, it may vary by region. So I'm going to more or less focus on the region here and out here west in California, specifically Southern California. And right now the market is still strong, it's still vibrant. What some of the concerns are I hear from uh, individuals out here is that, well, the market is going so fast and it's we're due for a recession. And I think a lot of people are making reference to the previous housing crash that we had, which was a little bit of an anomaly um, in many senses is that where the market crashed, but we had so many other things going on. So that was kind of like one of those once in a lifetime type of activities. But in terms of a recession, if you look at statistics, the over the last five recessions, so let's say, let's take for instance, um, looking at housing price changes in the last five recessions. So in 1980, for instance, the market housing prices increased or improved by 6.1%. That was in 1980. Mm -hmm. In 1981, they improved by 3.5%. In 1991, they dropped by 1.9%. And in 2001, housing prices in increased by 6.6%. Okay, and in 2008, that's the big one, where housing prices dropped by 19.7%. So out of the last five recessions, uh, three out of the five last five recessions that we had, housing prices actually increased. Mm -hmm. And the one that we had in 1991, there was a drop of 1.9%, not anything that's really significant. And in 2008, that one was a bit of an anomaly, I say, because we had so many other things going on. A lot of that was due to the uh, the lending side, the some, of the lending. Project, some of the uh, programs that we had. Like the stated incomes, stated incomes, um, the option arms, mm -hmm. and there really were no restraints on it in 
to me, in my opinion, I'll be honest, I think it was driven by greed, okay, and we weren't, in our industry, we weren't licensed, there were really no stop gaps, it was just kind of like uh, the risk factor was really tossed under the rug and greed was kind of like took a hold and took effect until it got kind of out of control. But the, 2000, the things that contributed to that, um, what was going on during that time is not inherent in our time frame right now. So you can't really apply them to, uh, you can't apply the 2008 recession to 2019 or 2020 uh, because it really doesn't have any uh, effect and it doesn't have any bearing because the, the factors that contributed to it are completely different. And to also piggyback on what you're saying, they don't even, they do not have the same lending options that they had in a way. Exactly, exactly. Literally during 2008, there was a product, there was a, a product called stated income, stated assets. So literally you could state on the application what your income was <laughs> and you could state on the application the amount of assets you had, checking savings, 401k, and no one verified it. So now we're in what we call a full doc environment to where all the documents are reviewed, they're cross-referenced. Um, we actually check with the IRS to verify your income. We're going to double back and call your employer, and it all has to match. So um, now there's no stated income that, that, I'm sure there are in some cases, but for the most part, it's not really prevalent um, in, our, in our world right now. Gotcha. Well, you answered a portion of my second question was I wanted to know what, what are your thoughts overall from 2008 and the lending side versus 2019 and the coming years of 2020 and beyond? Well, for 2000, projecting going forward, um, when we talk about, let's talk, go back to recession. The, there is, in, even in our field, there is, uh, we do have an idea, we expect in a recession to hit maybe in 2020 or 21, but again, that may not be something that affects our housing market, mm. okay. Um, one of the things I had, I had a question, a conversation with a gentleman back in 2008, and he, I told him what I do, and he said, oh, wow, he was really concerned, and because we're going through this recession, and I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, how are you doing financially, and how's, how's your market, uh, how's your house going um, in terms of the appreciation and so forth, and he said, oh, I'm fine. I said, well, it doesn't really affect you right now, so, and it may not affect you. But um, one of the things also I had, I ran across people who at some point considered just letting their homes go because they figured, hey, I'm upside down and why should I keep this home? And each, in each and every case, I told them, just hold on to your home because the market is cyclical. So it will, even though we're right down in the valley right now, we're gonna come back up. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, it did. And so there was no reason to let your home go because that could have had a cat catastrophic effect. Think about it, if you let your home go, and so you're looking at a foreclosure or a short sale. And so what happens is that you lose your home, and at the same time, it's going to affect your credit. So at some point in the future, if you want to buy again, you, there's a waiting period. True. Very, very true. 
my next question with interest rates being where they are now is home ownership the, the right is now the right time to buy for a first time home buyer uh, yes and yes so just to give you a little background when I first I've been in the industry since I started in this real estate industry in about 2001 and back then interest rates were I can think back that far they were probably in the low sevens high sixes Wow and to us that was high me coming in the industry new definitely and so a lot of the guys who had been in the industry for a while they just kind of chuckled at us because they remember when it was the interest rates were in double digits mm. and right now we're we're uh, in, still in a period where the rates are at historically uh, low numbers over the over the lifetime um, that we've been tracking this so now is still an excellent time to buy and it's we expected rates to go up this year but because of economic concerns rates uh, and you have geopolitical concerns things like the tariffs um, and it affects our economy so generally when the economy is doing poorly or takes a, no, uh, a dip it, uh, it actually bodes well for mortgage interest rates so you've seen over the I think during the latter part of the summer rates dropped down to where homeowners were able to refinance their home and get them in the uh, three percent range, sub four percent. So even right now, in the high threes, low to mid four range, an in interest rate, it's still a good opportunity to buy. Definitely. Because what you don't want to do is that wait down the line, and as prices keep going up and appreciating, and if interest rates decide to tick upwards. Now that what that does is that that erodes away at your affordability. So prices are higher mm -hmm. and interest rates are higher. So what that means is that the average buyer doesn't qualify for as much home as they could have if they would have taken advantage of a lower interest rate market. Perfect segue from my next question. Since buyers cannot afford to buy their dream home first, a lot of buyers are looking at condos, puds, and etc. What does a buyer need to look out for dealing with an HOA? Okay, HOAs are always very interesting. Um, so with the HOA, you're buying into a community. Mm. Okay, so you own your unit, uh, but you're buying into a community. So what your neighbors do does in fact affect you. Definitely. So as a lender, one of the things we, a couple of things we look at, um, we're gonna look at the condo project as a whole. Okay. okay so we're going to look at the if there's any pending litigation against the condo project so say for instance someone comes on the you have a guest that, uh, that comes to see you and they trip on a sprinkler head mm -hmm. and they break their ankle and now they want to sue the condo project mm. okay that could have an effect on, on you on you as one of the owners we're going to look at the delinquency factors of the HOA so if, if they're we're going to send out what's called a document to the HOA Association and so it's it's called a questionnaire and we're going to ask what is the percentage of owners that are 60 days or more delinquent in their HOAs because think about it if people are delinquent in their HOA payment mm -hmm. it usually means that there's something going on financially with 
an abundance of the owners in that project. True. Okay. Um, also, we're going to look at to see if there's. Um, we're going to look at the financial stability of the project. So this is one thing that can affect a potential homeowner. Let's say your project, um, they get all their revenue from people, the owners paying their HOAs. That's the source of revenue, mm -hmm. okay? And then they have expenses, the upkeep of the property and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what you're, part of what your HOA fees are going towards, okay? Mm -hmm. The revenue to keep the project up, but also to uh, maintain it, the upkeep, the maintenance, the gardening, and so forth. Um, but they're also, let's say if that project does not have a lot of revenue, perhaps maybe it's being mismanaged, okay, and they don't have that much in reserves, okay, so out of the whole revenue that you get, you want to take at least 10% of that mm -hmm. and put it in reserves, okay. Yep. So if a project is getting $100,000 a year in HOA revenue from the owner's paying, you, you want to make sure that they have at least $10,000 or 10% in reserves. What is the reserves used for? If something comes about where maintenance needs to be done on a broader scale, maybe the roof needs to be done or fixed on the project, maybe the patios need to be uh, resurfaced or whatever the case may be, you want to make sure that you have enough money in a budget, in your reserves, to, to address those concerns. Definitely. If you don't, what happens is that the HOA has to go out and get a loan. And say if they get a $50,000 loan to fix the roof on, uh, the, on the whole project. Now what that means is that that $50,000 has to be allocated among all the owners. And in addition to your normal HOA payment, let's say your HOA payment's $250 a month, they're going to put an additional assessment of a certain dollar amount. Again, it's going to divide it among all the owners. And on top of that $250 that you normally pay, you're going to have to pay an additional assessment for a certain period of time. And that can provide, that can be an actual strain on a homeowner. Mm -hmm. So imagine all of a sudden you're having to come out of pocket with an additional $200 or $200 or $300 per month because the homeowners association of the project didn't have enough, have enough adequate reserves. Definitely. So these are the things that we look at because we don't we want to make sure that you as a homeowner don't walk into a project and it's not financially stable. Definitely. Okay. So that could have effect on your marketability should you decide to sell and upgrade your property, um, an, an upgrade to a, a different property at some point in the future. Anything that's going to affect your marketability, you want to know about that. Definitely true. Uh, next question is a very important question in, in regards to buying. It is how your FICO score can affect you obtaining a loan. Also, how your debt-to-income ratio, your DTI, also plays a major part in you getting a loan. Um, that's, thank you. That's a good question. Um, I've had this come up in the past where potential clients may think that, hey, I have a 700 FICO score and pretty much that's it. I should be able to walk in and get a home. It doesn't work that way. The FICO score is an important piece. It's, it's a starting point for me because it affects your pricing. Okay, so think about it. 
if you have a higher FICO score, you go to qualify for uh, auto loan through your uh, through your bank or uh, through maybe the the auto financing people, then you're going to pay a lower interest rate, and that means your car payment's going to be lower. Okay. Um, Conversely, if you have a lower score, your interest rate is going to be higher because we're dealing with risk now. Okay, the debt to income ratio is simply this. Um, it's not anything fancy. Debt to income ratio simply means on one side of the fence you have your income. Okay, and on the other side of the fence you have your consumer debts, things that are going to appear on a credit report. We're not talking your auto insurance or your um, uh, Netflix account or anything like that. We're talking consumer debt, credit cards, student loans, any things of that nature. So we're going to divide your income, we're going to divide that into your your consumer debt and the proposed mortgage. Okay. Yeah. And we, we want to keep that percentage no more than 45 percent in general terms. Sometimes it may go a little higher, but as a general term, I, I try to use 45%. I use that percentage because potential buyers that want to use a down payment assistance program, they will usually cap you at a 45% debt to income ratio. So I use that as a general barometer. Um, so those things are important when it comes to qualifying for a home loan. The FICO score is especially important when it comes to things like your PMI, okay, your private mortgage insurance. So say, let's take for instance a conventional loan. Conventional loans are FICO score driven when it comes to your PMI. Okay, that's one of the big determinants. FHA, for instance, like your government loans, uh, government loans meaning like your FHA and your government products meaning FHA and VA for veterans. Okay, so with convention with FHA is really it, it whether your score is 750 or 650 your PMI rate is going to be the same okay and PMI is included in your total mortgage so if your PMI is higher your mortgage payments higher if PMI is lower your mortgage payments lower because it's included in it with conventional the FICO score can have a big effect on your PMI rate. So that's why in some cases, depending on the FICO score, if I have a client that has a 650 FICO score, they're going to pay more in PMI than they would for an FHA loan. Definitely. So in some cases, FHA is not necessarily better or worse. It's, it's, um, it depends on what's better for the client. If I'm not going to put a client in a conventional loan, with a higher mortgage payment just for the sake of saying they have a conventional loan and when they can go get an FHA loan and their mortgage payment is going to be lower. Okay, Definitely. so it's going to be what's best um, for the client. A loan in very many ways is like a man going to a store to buy a suit. Mm. You know, when, you, when, a, when a man goes to a store to buy a suit, he doesn't just buy off the rack and take it to the cashier and walk out. No, a suit has to be customized for your physical dimensions. So if you're taller, if you um, carry a little bit more weight, okay, the, the tailor is going to tailor the suit to fit your body. 
Okay, so it's not one size fits all. Getting in a loan is very much the same way. Okay, so we're going to customize it based on what's going on, your FICO score, your debt ratio, your reserves, how much money do you have. So in that way, we know what's the best fit for you. Definitely. Definitely. Last question for you, which is a very important one as well. What are the top stressful buying activities that a buyer has expressed to you as in uh, documentation needed to be turned in, bills paid off, and et cetera? Um, for from the feedback that I've received from clients over the years, um, the number one probably stressful thing is documents. Um, and again, we're in what we call a full document or full doc environment, meaning if you make $50,000 a year, I need pay stubs and a W-2 that substantiates that. Okay. So remember we made reference to the previous market prior to 2008 when you could you had products called stated income stated assets so if someone is thinking back in those terms in those times they're thinking hey why do I have to provide this okay because we're in a full doc environment so part of the problem is that maybe not everyone on both sides client and loan officers weren't forthcoming and truthful when it came time to purchase a home and submit a loan application so that may have led to one of the big things in my opinion that led to the market crashing as it did because you had some people that maybe should not have been in the level of home that they were in mm -hmm. okay definitely so definitely the um, by uh, the level of the number of documents that's one of the most stressful things that I've seen buyers maybe express some angst over but if you really think about it what I ask for a client is things they already have it's not like I'm asking them to go in the laboratory and create some sort <laughs> of new um, uh, science scientific uh, experiment. experiment or uh, liquid that's going to eradicate cancer or something no all I'm asking you to do is provide something you already have you have your W-2 because you filed your taxes hopefully so you have that <laughs> Okay, that's you go in your closet or wherever you have it and get that out. You have your pay stubs. If you have direct deposit, you have the stub itself. Okay, and you receive a copy of that every pay period. Mm -hmm. Just go get it. If you have a bank account and you have X amount of dollars in it, I need the last two bank statements. That's easy. If especially if you have online banking, you can go online, it's a click and print. That's it. Definitely. You're just using your fingers. That's it. It's you're not running a, a two-minute mile or anything. You just <laughs> click and print, okay? Um, so that's one of the main things. Um, but we try to ask for as much as we can up front. And during the loan process, we're just getting updated items. Um, and that's it. Um, if a client was um, um, promised maybe some interest rate and maybe now the loan changes for whatever reason all you all you have to do really is just communicate with the buyer okay um, your score dropped or whatever happened so or the appraisal came in lower all of that may affect your your pricing okay gotcha. um, one of the things I ask clients to do when we open up escrow is follow a certain 
set of rules. So at some point at that point, do not let anyone pull your credit. If you go to JCPenney and the young lady says, hey, I can get you 10% off if you uh, open up a JCPenney card, you tell them no. Why? Because that's an inquiry. Okay. And that all of these additional inquiries could drop your score. Definitely. Going out and charging additional debt. Okay. Uh, running up your credit cards during the process. That's a no-no. So that can create frustration for buyers as well. And I've seen it where I've had clients where during, in the middle of escrow, they're trying to refinance a car or um, do something like they're opening up new, new, uh, accounts. new <laughs> accounts. I had one client, he opened up $20,000 worth of new accounts. Mm. So, and I explained that to him where that could affect your loan. And actually it did because when you think about it, I told him, I said, you can go and charge $20,000 worth of merchandise and there's no one to stop you. Hmm. So that's a red flag. Definitely. That can create some anxiety with clients. True. Um, and, and generally, if you're communicative upfront and you're um, giving clients updates, if a challenge does come up, you address it immediately and you talk with them and you bring a resolution. So generally, Sometimes it can be a stressful situation depending on what's going on, but for the most part, it really doesn't have to be. Okay. Lastly, what tidbits or tips would you give to a buyer who is preparing to buy, let's say, top of the year or preparing to buy by next spring? First thing, first, pull a copy. If you haven't already, uh, obtain a free copy of your credit report, and you can do that once a year. Okay. And it's no cost to you. So get a free copy of your credit report. Know what's on it. Okay. Um, one of the things, if you have some debt that's maybe a little bit on the higher side, then address it right then. So if someone wants to get their score up a little higher, okay, you have a different types of mixes of credit on your report. So you can have a student loan, you can have a car payment, and you could have revolving debt like credit cards. So the one that's going to give you the highest boost is managing your revolving debt, such as credit cards. Think about it. Revolving debt, the balance can go up or down, and the payment can go up or down depending on how much you charge. So an installment debt, such as like a car payment, if your car payment is $200 per month, guess what? Next month it's going to be $200. <laughs> And guess what? The month after that, it's going to be $200 until it fully amortizes and pays off in full. So that's not going to change. Mm -hmm. So the things that you can manage well is your revolving debt, so a credit card. So as a barometer, I tell everyone, take 30% of your limit. So if your limit is $1,000 on your card, you should not charge more than 30% or $300 on that particular card. Okay, and if you can't try to pay it off in full, mm -hmm. okay, so the and it to me it's it's a game, and so I've thought about it in those terms. So let's say for instance, you um, you have a high interest rate on that credit card, say it's twenty four percent or twenty one percent, but you're if you pay it off in full every month, what are the credit cards getting? Zero. Mm -hmm. They're getting zero interest. Exactly. You're, they're only going to charge you interest on a balance, okay? And if you maintain it that way, okay, or keep it under thirty, uh, or keep it at a lower 
lower below 30% threshold, your score should over and overall increase. Okay, so look at your credit, look at the types of credit, address any um, anything that's inaccurate, address it at that time. Okay, do that ahead of time. Okay. Um, start to create a budget for yourself. If you know, I ask all clients, where do you want your house payment to be? Okay, I ask that for a reason. Now, I can pre-approve you for whatever your max, the maximum you qualify, but you may not want to pay that. Start to get in your mind, where do I want my, my payment to be? Okay, and start preparing for that. Very start true. putting aside X amount of dollars per month in preparation to get you ready for the burn of making that house payment. Okay, um, start doing that right now. Um, if you're going to change a job anytime soon, if you're not working with the loan officer, or uh, if you are working with the loan officer, let them know right now, okay? And so they can give you any tips on what to do. If you're changing from one job, say if you're a dental hygienist and you uh, work for Bright Now and then now you're going to Delta Dental, that shouldn't really affect you because you're in the same line of work and typically people upgrade their jobs for uh, either a better work environment or more uh, better wages or shorter commute, whatever the case may be, but it's something that's going to benefit them. Yep. So start looking at your credit definitely right now. Um, sit down with the loan officer, even if you're not ready right now. I, a lot of my clients aren't ready right away, but we can sit down and project, okay, this is what you need to do. If this is how mon much money you would need to come in with the down payment. Okay, and I'll factor that in with any down payment assistance programs, but this is how much money you need, okay? And then I'll look at where you are right now, and then we'll bridge that gap. And that, the time period, that's what we're doing. We're working on bridging that gap in addition to any other concerns that need to be addressed to get you ready for the future. Okay. Okay. Any, anything else? No. That was all for our episode today. Thank you again for tuning in, and we will be back very soon.